0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. The Celtics beat the Golden State Warriors in a nail-biter. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have saw that I managed to get a Transformers reference in there. Jason Tatum versus Steph Curry is Sentinel Prime versus Optimus Prime. We're going to hit you with why. First of all, I'm joined by Greg Monikis. How are you doing today, Greg?
1: I'm doing good, man. That was one hell of a game. I was actually able to watch that game last night with Will, the other host of the pod. Uh, So that was the first game that we watched in person together. And man, it's just a different vibe being able to watch the game with one of your best friends and having somebody else in the room to kind of bounce takes back off. And it was great because I wasn't on Twitter the whole time it was just me and will talking so i literally didn't check twitter one time during the game and let me tell you for all the people out there that are listening i recommend you do the same i was just enjoying the hell out of myself man not having to worry about negative take from twitter handle x so it was a lot of fun man man i'm jealous i don't get to do this i don't get
0: to sit down and watch the game with anybody i try and text somebody like hey you want to watch the game They're like soccer i'm like no basketball and i just they, they just leave me unread. So, uh, I'm jealous, man. Was it, how is it though being able to throw these hot takes around and not get like 10,000 people coming for your neck?
1: It was, it was pretty great. But last night it was, it was all positive, man. Like how many, how many negative things could you take away from last night's game? It was just so much fun watching Tatum and Steph, you know, go at it head to head. I'm not a Transformers guy. I just watched it for Megan Fox back in the day. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the reference that you made. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I
0: watched it for similar reasons, but at the same time, like Sentinel Prime was the old Optimus was the old Prime and he was dormant and then Optimus awakened him and they had this like huge battle at the end of the game, like at the end yeah. of the movie. And like uh I know Steph hasn't been dormant recently like at all. He's been on fire, but that battle, that scoring escapades that we saw from Steph and we saw from Tatum, like um, I love those like those little one-on-one um microcosms of the game these in battles with inside of i love those um those little caveats of watching a-, a celtics game or any nba game when when a little battle like that pops off uh is when i find it the most captivating and i thought this was great man i mean steph cory hit some ridiculous shots dude that that one in the fourth in the corner where they'd um they'd iced him and then he just took that one sidestep and shot as he was falling out of bounds and he j-
1: like, you just have to sh- shake your head, right? It's a cheat code. He's just a walking cheat code. Oh, my God. I mean, Will and I were going crazy. We've been Steph guys since his time at Davidson back in the tourney. So, you know, whenever we get a chance to tune into a Steph game, you just hope he gets hot. And he's been on a heater for the past two weeks. And he, he delivered, man. He, everything that you want to see out of Steph Curry at the beginning of the game, Will and I said to each other, we were like, yo, Best case scenario, Steph goes for 50, but the Celtics win. <laughs> it was like, almost happened. He had 47 points. And he did, you know, a, a majority of his damage. Well, you know, a significant portion of his damage after he sprained his ankle. You know, a guy notoriously for glass ankles, you would hope that that would slow him down a little bit because they, you know, got to a point where I was like, this guy might just win this game by himself. And uh, when the ankle happened, I was hoping I had my fingers crossed that he might miss some shots. And he just didn't until the, the end where he pulled up from half court. Uh, that was kind of a desperation heave, though.
0: Man, when they when they had him hurt his ankle and then, like, a play or two later, John, Juan Toscano Anderson went flying over that uh, announcers ring. Like, that was some WWE type of interlude, man, because he was genuinely down. And part mm. of me was feeling, like, the effort that he put in and, like, the hustle. We've seen Marcus Smart make similar plays and it's fired the team up to come back and turn the game around. Mm. And when Toscano Anderson went down and had to leave the game I was like if there was ever a reason that the Warriors were just going to flip the script this would be it and uh, I was on the edge of my seat for the remainder of that quarter just because of that because we've seen Boston respond to similar not adversity but similar like heart and hustle plays that have really fired everybody up luckily the Celtics held strong man I mean Another game where they go in, go in at the half down, they come back out, they really get hot in the third and then they see out down the stretch in the fourth. And it's crazy because if you remember, like through the playoffs and through the early part of the season, those third quarters were, uh, you might as well just go and make yourself some, some nachos and some coffee or get some beers because you know that at the end of that third, they've probably scored five points. The, the narrative flip for them has been amazing.
1: Yeah, and they're also closing out quarters better. Not only are they starting the third quarter better, but they they actually carried in the momentum from the end of the first half into that third quarter because they were down. I think they went on like a 10 to two run or something like that to end the first half to get it to six. And, you know, if they, if they go down 16 in halftime, then maybe they don't win that game. But closing that to six was huge. And, you know, a lot of it was just um, finally getting a hold of. On the Golden State Warriors offense, because we couldn't stop them. And this is something that I was saying during the game. Like, when you play Steph Curry, it is such a departure from the norm of how you normally have to guard people. And it's going to take you some time to get used to guarding him. And I mean, we honestly didn't really get used to guarding him because he was just so on fire the whole game, but it's going to look ugly. Most games are going to look ugly against Steph, especially early on, as you adjust to the, the chaos and panic that he causes just with all of his movement and any, any split action on a screen Two two guys are going with Steph instead of the other guy back, back cut layup, you know, that stuff happens all the time just because of the gravity that he has. Um, but, you know, to k- kind of go further along with your point, they are definitely switching that narrative about, you know, if you think back to the heat series, They could not close out the Heat. We were the better team for majority of each of those games, and the Heat would just win it either in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, and we're starting to see the tides turn with this team of their ability to close out games. And you know who it starts with, man, our guy JT. JT is just playing like that alpha dog. He's playing like a superstar, and that's exactly what the Boston Celtics need for all the other pieces to kind of fall into place. So to
0: hit on your Steph point real quick, I think that Steph's off-ball movement—the fact that he's never stationary for more than like two seconds—makes it almost impossible to know where the next cut's coming from, where the mm. next back screen's coming from. Because he, every time a player cuts, you assume it's to set you up, or to set a screening action up, or to set a complementary off-ball cut on the other side of the floor. With Steph, he's just moving because he wants to move, and he puts everything in a motion that is so unpredictable. And then mm. you look at the way Tatum's playing at the moment. Tatum isn't playing in that, like we're seeing such, like we saw, we were very lucky to see two completely different styles of offensive basketball. Both were very effective. Tatum is more stationary off-ball. You know, he likes to take up his his spot on the the wing or on the slot, get the ball and then go to work when he's already got possession, where Steph will work himself into a position to just be in a catch-and-shoot opportunity. What I like about Tatum at the moment is, dude, man, he's just getting to the rack so easy at the moment. He's snaking through guys. He's using the euro step. He, the body control he's had on some of his finishes around the rim recently have been great, and you can see that because he hasn't got the lid on the basket, those threes just seem so effortless for him at the minute.
1: Yeah, I saw some crazy stat. I think in the, in the over the six game win streak. Tatum shooting something like 82% of his shots either at the rim in the paint or from three. You know, and if we talk about Jason Tatum shot charts, that's what you want. And I agree, man, his body control, you know, early on in his career, he he kind of smoked a ton of layups. I, you know, Will and I used to joke all the time that when he would go up for a layup. He, you know, he'd brick it. It would just like come flying off the glass. And I don't know why that was if he wasn't used to the contact or, if, you know, um, big guys at the rim freaked him out or something like that. But for whatever reason, his touch around the basket and his ability to go to that Euro step with the step through to the, the left side of the basket, finish with your right hand, that old Rondo move that Rondo used to do, um, it's, it's, it's working wonders for him. And if Jason Tatum is decisive and aggressive, there's literally no one that can stop him. And when you talk about the difference in styles, I think one of the biggest reasons why Tatum doesn't need to move the level that Steph does is because one, they're different type of athletes. Steph's more like quick twitch and Tatum's more like long uh, glidey steps, but Tatum's also six, nine, right? So he he can just spot up and get his shot off where Steph almost needs to create that space through movement because he's only six, three. Um, But yeah, it was, it was beautiful to see those two different types of styles of play. And it's nice to see Jason Tatum go head-to-head with a former MVP and one of the greatest players of all time.
0: One of the biggest things for me, man, about Tatum during this, this win streak has been he's getting to the line so much more, and it mm-hmm. seems almost effortless. If yeah. you look at his career um, his career free throws, he's averaging roughly, what, 3.8 a game.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: over this like six-game win streak, it's 7.2 a game, and he's mm-hmm. shooting at basically 92%. He's almost, I mean, dude, like everybody's been saying for probably the last 18 months, minimum, bare minimum, that the next evolution for Tatum is to become a regular occurrence at the charity stripe, to find ways to earn the easy points. Because when you can do that, your cold streaks are so much shorter because obviously you're seeing the ball go through the net. And Mm -hmm. if you, if you can't score from free drive the lane, if you get fouled, great, get the lid off at the free throw line. If you make the, if you make the layup, then great. You've got the lid off. And if we're very lucky, you're going to score and we're going to get the end one and you get the three points anyway. So seeing that it comes back down to that body control and that processing ability. Like it just feels like he's processing the game quicker. He's seeing things happen earlier than what he used to do i feel like he's using less of a size up dribble and being far more decisive almost Mm -hmm. as soon as the ball is in his hands he knows exactly where he wants to be and if he needs to manipulate you first then he will do that but he will do it for a reason rather than like eight weeks ago he was just sizing you up because he didn't really know what he wanted to do he'd come off a screen and wouldn't really know what he wanted from there and uh, mm-hmm. just to give Nikias Duncan a shout out, he's done um, an amazing film dive on Tatum's pro- processing for pass recognition over the last okay. few games, and um, I think that's amazing. Anyone listening, if you haven't checked that out already, definitely check it out. But I do think that that processing isn't just related to passing. I think it's related to how he's attacking, how he's attacking guys, how he's coming off of screens more. We're seeing him process when to. Eurostep, when to just go hard to the lane, when to drop drop the ball off. And it's just so many developments in his game have kind of all flourished at once. And Brad Stevens hit the nail on the head. And I think it was after the, um, the Lakers game where he said, like, it was around this time last year that we saw Tatum take that leap. Yeah. And it feels like he's taking that leap again almost a year later because it just, maybe Tatum's just one of these guys that needs to ramp up slowly before we start seeing the best of him during the season.
1: No, for sure. For sure. I'm excited to check out that video too, that uh, Nikias did. I've, I haven't gotten a chance to watch that. Um, but the guy that Tatum actually reminds me of makes a lot of sense. He's reminded me a lot of how Brad Beal plays, you know, and, and Beal's just so decisive, especially coming off of screen actions and off of curls. You know, if, if Tatum, if his first read is to the basket, then that's going to open up so much more of what he wants to do because guys are going to be on their heels against him versus coming up and not being afraid of coming up against him because they're like oh he's going to take three dribbles before he makes a decision you know so they don't have to close out with a purpose and now they're just like do i close out hard because he's shooting right away do i stay back because he's driving right right away or am i just completely screwed you know and i think right now i would say most people going up against jason tatum are completely screwed it feels that way
0: right like you say like if you close out he's going to blow by the closeout, he's going to attack that. If you sag off, he's going to hit the three. If you play kind of in that middle area, so you're up to touch with him, but you you haven't committed or under committed, he's going to find a way to hurt you. He's, whether it be that sidestep jumper, whether it be that dribble drive. And let's not forget, this guy isn't a scrub from mid-range either. He's an assassin. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there's so many, like part of me feels like I can see a world where his shot profile is just almost unguardable because that corner three is just money it's butter for him um they're putting him in a lot more elbow sets we saw him run a few elbow sets against the warriors where they line him up at um, the start the possession usually coming from a sidelines out of bands um or an s or a slob if you want to abbreviate Mm -hmm. where they put him at the um the elbow of the key and then they'll run an action off of there and basically get him to like shoulder rubs um, cut off a guy. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a zipper cut. It's kind of nut, And then they'll just put into work from there. And it's just beautiful. Uh, it really is. What I like as well is the fact that we're now seeing, we've had a 53 point game from Tatum, a 40 point game from Brown. Mm. Then a, what was this? A 44 point night from Tatum, was yeah. it, if I'm not wrong. So we're seeing both guys hit their strides. And I just read, and I said this yesterday or the day before, um, it might have been on a different show, but I really want to see these two guys go off at the same
1: time, man. It would be crazy. And, the, the you know, the thing that's great about it, I think earlier in the season, it's not like they were playing bad. You know, they did have these games where they exploded, but it was very my turn, your turn. And now everything's coming within the flow of the offense, which is what I love to see out of both of those dudes. Um, I mean, hate them. <laughs> Tatum being able to spot up in the corners and Jalen Brown being able to space the floor to the corners is also opening up just a ton of space for Kemba. You know, I was going back and watching some of the the plays that Kemba had last night and compared to some of his shots early in the year for mid range. And when you have Jason Tatum spacing for you so that that guy off the wing can't really pinch down onto that elbow jumper. I mean, the, the, the guys are in the right places now. And that's also opening up things for Kemba. you know. So I, I, I was wondering your thoughts on Kemba's performance last night because, to me, this is just another example of the Celtics trending towards a place where they're going to be legit a problem in the playoffs. They're going to be contenders, and no longer are they going to be pretenders. So what did you see from Kemba last night?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a point I want to touch on with you about Jalen and Jason after as well, which uh, okay. kind of feeds off what you were just saying. But with Kemba, for me, I think that they're using him so well in – getting him switched onto the big and then Mm. asking him to use that pace, use his body to attack the big. And it's not, no, no. Like when he, they first started doing that for him, for him, it was very reliant on pace. It was very reliant on, you need to blow by that guy and get Mm. the easy finish. Um, I think it was the opening possession of the game. We saw Canberra blow by, um, kavan looney and then he had that offhand on offhand reverse finish but what impressed me the most was how kemba used his body and got his leg over kavan so kavan was on his hip and he basically sealed kavan behind him and made it really hard for kavan to rotate over and contest the shot at the weak side of the rim and uh that's the type of additional body control that kemba walker has always had that has been lacking this year Mm -hmm. um the ability to change pace and blow by you downhill but then stop on a dime show amazing uh, body control and situational awareness and then finish with an offhand on a reverse and what that di- what that does is it makes defenses really cautious about hedging you or about playing up to touch. so if you do get switched on to camber the big now wants to be able to be closer to a drop coverage because he doesn't want to keep getting blown by off that pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And then what happens then is now Kemba's got that mid-range game to work. And we Mm -hmm. saw Kemba have a few mid-range opportunities in this game. Then the defense has to push back upon you and you blow by them again. And then you're constantly having to go from A to B to C, back to A to try and figure out how to guard Kemba. And when he's healthy, which he looks at the moment, he's just got an answer for every coverage that you give him.
1: Yeah, and Tristan set some great screens for him last night. Thompson had seven screen assists. We had 15 points off of Thompson's screens. And the two mid-range jumpers that Kemba had and the three at the end of the game, if you want to see, you know, why he has so much space, like I said earlier, it's because of the guy that's directly next to him that allows the defense not to be able to pinch down and contest, you know, from the side. So the first uh, mid-range jumper, he had Peyton Pritchard for spacing out to like the logo. (laughs) And then there's another one where um, he got switched on to Draymond and Draymond was in drop. Tatum was on the wing, so Steph didn't leave Tatum. So he had like 10 feet of space. And then the final one, he had Wiggins in a switch with Tatum at the top and Bazemore didn't want to leave Tatum. You know, and if it's Kemba Walker in space one-on-one, that's a big difference from the beginning of the year when it was the double big lineup and everything was so clunky, you know. And I I was actually worried going into last night's game that that spacing wouldn't be there because JB wasn't playing and we had Semi Ojale playing. So (laughs) I was a little bit worried that, that that difference, and it was manifesting earlier in the game where it looked like Celtics might not be able to hang, but we did. And then Kemba turned it on, man. He really turned it on. I'm loving what I'm seeing from Kemba. But what were you going to say about uh, Jason and Jalen?
0: Yeah. So um, all I was going I was just going to touch on a point. You mentioned that Jason and Jalen were flowing within the um, playing within the flow of the offense. It wasn't a your turn, my turn anymore. And mm-hmm. what dawned on me as you were saying that this isn't something I've looked into or gave much thought to until now was a year ago we were saying that. They're very different players. JB is your slasher, your guy that will slash off the wings and finish around the rim. And JT is your floor spacing three-point threat. Their games have blended so well now that they are so similar and they can both finish across all three levels that it makes that space, and this will bleed into your other point you just made, it will make that spacing so fluid and give you so much motion in the offense. And even when guys are stationary, it still feels like there's motion because the defense is constantly fluid, trying to figure mm. out where to plug gaps. And then you talk about like how space is being created by the spacing on that pick and roll, the spread pick and roll that Boston likes to run, where somebody's in both corners, you've got one of your, uh, your three or your four on one of the slots, and then you'll run a 1-5 or a 2-4, whatever type of pick and roll you want to run. This is something that the Warriors basically brought into the league that put Mm. you in sticky situations because of the three point shooting that's just littered around the floor. And I think that Campbell Walker is finally figuring out that, hey, I'm not going to need the ball as much to get 20 a night, to get 24 a night. His assists are up over the six game stretch. His efficiency is up. Uh, The stat that I didn't know uh, that came on the TV yesterday when it was today for me when I was watching the game was that he's second in the NBA for free throw percentage. That's what I'd look too deep into. But for me, it's definitely the fact that his his scoring ability seems to be returning. His burst is back. And again, defenses are so fluid in figuring out how to contain that that it's opening stuff up for other guys on back cuts and baseline cuts, but it's also creating so many good opportunities for him. And uh, I'm, I'm just very happy that people are starting to see the Kemba Walker that we knew he could be, even though there was so, there's so many Kemba Walker detractors out there. And I've been on that train for a little while too, but I've, I have been quite consistent in saying I think he's better than what we've seen. And uh, he's he's finding that rhythm at the right time.
1: Yeah. And something, uh, I think you said this on the pod, maybe with Will, or maybe it was the last one we had done together. They all blend together, man. Uh, But the the fact that Kemba, you know, hasn't been able to play in those back-to-backs and build that rhythm. Well, I mean, we've basically been playing every other day, you know, so Kemba hasn't had to sit out that extra stretch and it's, you know, probably no coincidence that he's starting to find that rhythm because he hasn't had to have those, you know, three to four days off between games. It's been every other day for the past two weeks, and also another thing I was I was interested in getting your opinion on was just um, the the Kemba narrative that he's not a good defender. I don't necessarily buy that. I think that he's a limited defender because he's small, but I mean that dude contests shots. A couple of games ago, he and Marcus Smart both contested twelve shots. Last night, I think he contested uh, six or seven shots. So, and he's you know he's so good at being a positional defender took uh, two charges last night. I think they only gave him credit for one because one of them was the elbow to the face, but they were both both on uh, Bazemore. And he reminds me, the way that he's playing defense right now, he's had moments where he's brought a couple games, like, oh, Kemba's engaged on defense. Like It's it's really making a difference for the rest of the squad. But the way that he's able to guard the paint be with his position reminds me a little bit, not to the level that this guy does it, but it reminds me a little bit of what Kyle Lowry did in the seven game series against the Raptors last year, where guys were looking out for Kyle Lowry because he was just hiding in the weeds, taking charges. He wasn't protecting, you know, at the rim vertically, but he was protecting in the paint. And if Kemba can at least be a threat positionally to take charges where guys have to think about him. And then also he's done such a good job of staying connected to people. And obviously people score on Kemba because he's six feet tall, but what are you seeing from Kemba defensively? Do you think he's a bad defender? We haven't actually talked about this before.
0: No, I think you'll hit the nail on the head. He's a limited defender. I think defense is 50, 40 or 50% effort and then 50% physical tools. Or if we want to be more realistic, it's like 30% effort, 30% physical tools, and then 34% IQ. I think Kemba mm. contains the IQ. I think he's a very high IQ NBA guy. I think he gives effort every night. He doesn't want to be seen as a guy that's a, a net negative due to a lack of engagement. But I do mm. think that the limitations come due to those, the lack of those physical tools. Undersized, doesn't have a great wingspan, isn't like ridiculously strong. So teams will hunt him. And we've seen Brad Stevens, once the defense is solidified and they do run a switch everything system we'll see Brad kind of hide Kemba on the weak side corner but I like what you're saying Kemba's a very good help defender in the sense that he'll rotate over and put his body on the line to draw charges similar to how Kyle Lowry does I think Kemba's actually an underrated um guy to kind of pilfer he'll he'll try and pilfer a few steals a game he'll come from behind you he'll but for me he's an underrated help defender in terms of rotation. I wouldn't like to see him continually rotated into the paint. I'd like to mm-hmm. see him used more as a tag guy or someone that stunts on guys just to make them yeah. fumble their dribble. Using him as um, a weak side um, help defender that's just there to stunt and add pressure would be great. Um, but I, I definitely don't think he's a net negative. And if this team can go on a deep playoff run with Isaiah Thomas, then there's no reason they can't. And that's this is no shade on IT because I was a big IT guy. Uh, But there's no reason they can't do the same with Kemba. And I've heard people say, well, Kemba's undersized. We're never going to get far in the playoffs because he'll get bullied. The last time the Celtics went on a real deep run, like most of the times they have, they've had an undersized point guard that can get bullied. It's all about that engagement and that IQ for me. And uh, I think Kemba ticks two of the three boxes required to be a good defender. And the, the third box that isn't ticked isn't his fault. You can't tell yourself to grow a 7 foot wingspan. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I think I think he hit an ad on the head. He's not a poor defender at all. He's just a limited defender.
1: Yeah, for sure. And Stevens, you know the the point you just made, Stevens has has a great track record of being able to scheme to get his weak defenders out of the play and the smaller defenders out of the play. And it started with Isaiah Thomas. Now you see this a lot uh throughout the league where I I don't know what Stevens calls it. You might be able to tell me what he calls this, but I call it the scram where they scram Kemba. Oh, is that what he says? Um, You know, Kemba will get switched off into somebody. And now it's anybody. If there's ever some sort of matchup in the post where you can switch somebody out as the ball is being delivered into the post, because that happens so split second. Um, they're able to do it and we had to do it for Isaiah Thomas back in the day. And now it's almost become a staple of our, our defensive scheme one through five, which is really cool to see that. And you also see it, um, throughout the league, you know, I, I don't know if there were other teams doing that before the Celtics did it. Um, I I don't watch enough of the league to say that we were the pioneers to that movement, but it seemed, you know, it seemed like we were because Isaiah Thomas was so limited, and that also brings me to the point of Jabari Parker, man. You know, he's another guy that is defensively limited. And I heard you and Brendan going in on Jabari and his limitations. And you did a good job reining Brendan in there. <laughs> but uh, what, do you, what did you see out of Jabari in that game? Overall takeaway as a Jabari Parker?
0: I mean, first things first, I need to hold my hands up. Um, I got it wrong. I was saying I don't think he'll play more than eight to ten minutes uh, this season, like per night. Not overall, just on average. First game he comes out, what was it, 15, 16 minutes? Something stupid. Yeah, like, um. so he played double what I was expecting him to play. Uh, hands up, I was wrong. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, I said. But we'll see how it ends at the end of the year. I thought he was um, he was better than what I expected in, in areas. Like, I didn't expect to see him occupy the paint as much as what he did. I thought he'd be more of um, a corner spacing guy yeah mm-hmm. uh, he he did manage to do a good job of drifting in from that corner ducking yeah. into ducking into um into post up opportunities i thought i think that if he continues to find good value for them after, from posting up guys we'll start to see some wedge screens to get him into the post more regularly um he had some good moves he had that one ducking that went to the up and under with that finish where he felt fa- i can't remember who he was was it looney yeah fate looney yep. uh we only saw that to a t o too yeah, so that was Drew up. Yeah. I don't think we'll see him take too many frees from the wing or the top of the perimeter. I think we will only see him from the corner. He had a couple of turnovers, um, which was fine. I expected that he has got a really low gather point when he mm-hmm. goes up to shoot. And um, I think we're going to get really frustrated with how much the ball gets. But, dude, for, for a guy that's came in on a two-year deal that's basically a minimum, um, I, don't, I think it's such a high upside swing. Like, if it doesn't work, what really have you lost? Uh, in my opinion, like you lose Mo Wagner. Okay, Mo Wagner wasn't playing anyway, really. And when he was, he wasn't giving you good minutes. So you take a yeah. swing gunner a guy that be- adds more balance to the roster. I think he played well. Uh, you know, he's a he's a bit more gangly than what I remember. I don't. I think mm-hmm. I remember him having a bit more stockiness to his frame. He looks a bit more gang. I mean, do, do Americans use the word gangly?
1: Gangly to me means more like uncoordinated.
0: Okay, no, way, so, like, yeah. okay so gangly might not be the right right word he just seemed to have really long limbs that didn't seem mm-hmm. like he was in control of them all the time yeah
1: yeah yeah. That, that's gangly like you, you're you yeah. long but uncoordinated
0: yeah it felt like that but i think that's more rust than it is mm-hmm. like um a general persona of his or like a general issue with his coordination i think that's just more rust uh he's Got a little bigger. bit of paul pierce body yeah, he's a bit bigger than I thought he'd be um, as well. Like, he seemed larger. Uh, but mm-hmm. overall, like, it's if you look at the shot chart that I tweeted out yesterday, and then you look at the shot chart for his successes, successful makes, it's pretty much par for the course. It's exactly what you expect. He's going to finish around the rim. He's going to battle for offensive rebounds. And he'll give you a modicum of success from the corner three. Uh, is he going to be a starting level four no i don't think so am i shocked he played down the stretch in the fourth yes very much so um but i'm not mad at you i mean more power to him right i I didn't see anything spectacular but it was definitely an encouraging
1: game one what did you see but first thing is stood out to me i forgot how actually tall he is he's like a legit 6'8 6'9 so when he first got on the court i didn't i didn't like they didn't mention he was in the game so i was like oh who's that big guy you know, I just kind of assumed he was he was like, a, I don't I don't even know, but like a five. And that actually brings me to this this question I had for you down the stretch. The fact that he played, I can't remember who he took out. Did he take out Grant or Tristan? Do you remember who he took out? I think took okay. out Tristan, because he was on the floor with Grant.
0: And I was asking okay. myself who was playing the small ball five.
1: Yeah, that, that's the question I was going to ask. Is, is there some weird uh, world in which Jabari Parker becomes a small ball five? You know, he came into the league as a three and now the you know at his athleticism has been dropped a little bit because of his knee injuries, but he's huge. He's way bigger than I remember. He's such a good rebounder. And some of the limitations with Jabari Parker are his issues guarding on the perimeter. But if he's this guy that can play small ball five, maybe there's a whole nother Jabari Parker resurgence in his career that I wasn't seeing. And I, I am a big time overreactor to one game. I, <laughs> I'm guilty of it, but I saw some things, man, where I was like, how many guys could really take advantage of Jabari if, if he's playing the small ball five? You know, like obviously you don't want him doing that against like Joel Embiid, but we don't really have anybody that can guard Joel Embiid. So if, if Parker is just another lineup You know, Parker at the small ball five is another lineup Brad can go to if for whatever reason the matchup dictates that we need a little bit more offense and someone who's a little bit more skilled. You know, if you don't want to use Grant at the small ball five, and if Rob's having one of his games where he's just out of it, do I want to use Luke Cornette or do I want to use Jabari Parker? You know, that that's definitely something that that I'm thinking about. And I was excited at the way he played, man. He was just, you know, boarding up. He's so strong around the rim. His footwork looked good. He didn't look good. He didn't look uh, rusty. You know, I thought he was gonna have a Fournier type uh, debut when he had two back-to-back turnovers (laughs) on his first two possessions. But I was very encouraged, man. And you, you know, Danny Ainge loves those high pedigree guys. So if if we can develop Jabari Parker into a guy who doesn't feel like he needs to live up to the number two pick expectations and just be good in whatever. Role we now have for him, I would be excited, man. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what he what he becomes. I'm not betting on him being a huge success here, but I'm excited to watch it.
0: Yeah, so for me, like having him as a small ball five option is fantastic. Having him as a a stretch four is also great because the the Celtics needed that. When you want to, when Grant Williams isn't having one of his good games, you need a scoring punch off the bench, mm-hmm. and he played his role perfect to perfection against the Warriors. He came off the bench and gave you a scoring punch. There's not many times we've been able to look at the box score and see someone off the bench in double figures, really. Pritchard will probably do it from time to time. Um, Fournier, obviously, will do it consistently. Christian Thompson, probably. But it's just, I feel like we can look at this bench unit now and be like, do you know what, there's three or four guys that can end the game every game with 10 to 15 points. And I just feel so much more confident in the production. And as I said on Saturday's podcast with Brendan, My biggest thing is the defense of this second unit has me highly encouraged. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they've found something with Grant and Thompson. I think Romeo's defense looks good. Uh, I think Fournier is going to help that defense on that second unit as well. So you can take a risk of putting a guy like Jabari in that is a minus defender, a guy that struggles to stay engaged and overbites on pump fakes there was one where he got blown by on the Warriors when he was defending on the wing and a crossover just completely opened his body up and his man just went for, it for the rim you can live with that if the other four guys are high level defensive guys high IQ defensive guys and I think the offensive punch he's going to provide means there's less drop off and there's less pressure to have to stagger JT or JB with that second yeah. unit for long stretches which means they're healthier for when the, the 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 business end of the game comes and you really need guys to play probably a whole fourth quarter at that point.
1: Yeah, and this is actually something I saw in the Lakers game and I think Stevens was doing it because he was hoping that we would blow out the Lakers and be able to rest guys. But he started playing Tatum and Brown Uh, together a little bit more and taking them out at the same time. And I'm wondering if that's because he recognizes the the potential of this second unit, you know, if we have a second unit, man, of like Marcus at the point with Fournier, um, Romeo, Jabari, and I don't know, Rob, if you want to put Rob at the five or something like that, or Pritchard to space the floor a little bit that playing Jason and Jalen together for more minutes, I think could be big because I think that's one of the reasons why we're also seeing us close out quarters well right now is because we're closing out quarters with the best players on the floor, and we're really hard to guard. I don't have the numbers for our um, our lineup, you know, net ratings with those guys playing together, but I would imagine they're good because they've been playing really well off of each other. And I love your point that Jabari, you know, being on the roster as an offensive punch will, you know cause Stevens to maybe not have to stagger those guys and keep them on the floor for five more minutes a game. If Tatum and Brown are on the court for five more minutes a game, that's dangerous. That's the biggest thing for me is just having extra guys on that can score and
0: defend and switch and be able to keep a very, uh, be able to keep in with the offensive and defensive principles of what you're trying to do as a collective if you can do that without having to add miles to the clock of the guys that you're going to need healthy when when you are down and you are, you do need mm-hmm. to chase a game, um, that's imperative. And the more you can do that now, the better it's going to be for you once the playoffs roll around. And, you know, it's more physical. Guys are going to get banged up more. The more rested they are now is going to pay dividends. So while I'm not jumping for joy saying Jabari Parker's going to be the most improved player next year while i'm not coming out with anything outlandish like this i do think that his addition could end up adding quite a bit of value in terms of a collective
1: for the team yeah and if he's playing these minutes over semi you know i I don't want to hate on semi too much but you know i I always feel like I'm, i'm bashing semi but if we're giving these minutes to another guy that can dribble pass and shoot and be a real threat you know semi one of the biggest issues with semi although he has you know decent numbers from the corners. I think he's like around 40% from the corners. Teams don't respect him, man. And this is the same issue that I have with Daniel Tice is when when the game mattered, you know, when the game was on the line, teams were not going to respect Daniel Tice. They were going to live with Daniel Tice beating them. So I think Jabari Parker, from what I saw from this first game, if he can give us that, you know, that was probably like on the upper echelon of what he can offer in limited minutes. But if he's a threat on the floor, no one is ever going to say Jabari Parker can't play offense. And that's all we need is Jabari Parker to play offense and be a threat and just be a better option for Brad than Semmy because Semi offers defense, but we have enough dudes that can D up, man. We have enough dudes that can D up. See, another guy that's been playing good offense and poor defense for us at the
0: moment, I just kind of want to segue, is, uh, is Pritchard. I mean, I feel like mm. Pritchard's hit that rookie wall. He's kind of trying to work himself through. Had some deep, his range is ridiculous, dude. And -hmm. there was a moment in time against the Warriors where I honestly felt like he was trying to go toe to toe with Steph. There was a a moment where I was just like, Steph came down and hit a three. Pritchard came down and hit a deep three. Steph went back up, scored. Pritchard went back down, took a shot. It didn't go in. And then everything went back to normal. And the the offense kind of like sink, sink back up. But I was like, is Pritchard really trying to have a battle with Steph? Because that's not good. But the confidence is so encouraging for what he could do for this team long term. But when you look at him defensively, I think some bad habits are creeping in. Uh, he's not closing out on guys very quickly. If there's an offensive rebound and the team, the opposing team resets their offense, I think Pritchard's usually a step slow to get up to his man. He also kind of sag off a little bit, and I don't think that's schematic because if it was, then he wouldn't be getting blitzed so much by guys once he's guarding them. Um, so I, I just wanted to get your take on Pritchard and where you think he's at, and if you think he's kind of been like has he regressed has he hit a, a peak where where do you think he's with his season and his development
1: That's a great question man um I, had, I honestly haven't paid much attention to him on defense i've just been so focused on his lack of aggression on offense and you know he's a good spot up shooter he needs to have his feet set and he can you know stretch the floor from the logo as we saw last night he's not good coming off of screens in my opinion i think he's good coming off the screens to his left but if he's coming off his screens to his right, that's a really difficult shot. And he doesn't really have the lift in his shot to get that off. And he's small. So I think he's, he's best served as a guy that can really stretch the floor in a spot-up position. Um, I haven't seen him do too much damage from the corners this year. Uh, I know earlier in the season he was, and he was attacking, and he looked fast. Defensively, I think he has some potential, which is why it's frustrating that he's not playing up to it. You know, earlier in the year, I thought he did a really good job on the Kyle Lowry's of the world and the Van Bleets of the world. He really stood out in that game against the Raptors because those dudes are so hard to guard. And he was one of the few guys that could stay in front of them and not fall for their, just like shiftiness. Those small, quick guards that are built like fire hydrants. We don't really have anyone that can guard them. And he was one of the guys that early in the year, I thought the early returns on him were great and that he might have potential to be that guy. I even tweeted out at some point, by the time the playoffs comes around, this was before he got hurt. I was like, but by the time the playoffs comes around, people are going to say Peyton Pritchard is an elite on-ball defender. I haven't noticed um, the deficiencies off-ball, but I'll, I'll start watching for the, for them for sure. But I'm, I'm pr- pretty low on Pritchard right now. Since the injury, he's been bad, in my opinion. Um, I thought Teague outplayed him. I thought Teague earned – earned the minutes that he was getting at the end of his stretch with the Celtics. I know that you had to move off Teague. It was just like starting to become too much of an issue that Brad was relying on him to that point. And you want to develop Pritchard for sure. Uh, but I don't necessarily think Pritchard has earned these minutes. I think it's, it's all about what he was doing at the beginning of the year and trying to get him back to that guy. Cause he was a difference maker, man. Think back to that Kings game. I think it was a Kings game where he had the, the layup down the stretch um, the putback layup. So Peyton Pritchard, I I think that he can make a difference, but I'm definitely going to start watching at that off-ball stuff and the missed rotations, because that's not something I've I've been watching for.
0: Yeah, for me, it's like fears crept into his game. Like, it feels like he was fearless at the start of the year, and that was kind of what set him apart from most rookies that you watch, was the fact that he would be willing to – blow by a guy drive into the trees and then hit some ridiculous swing pass or try and finish around the rim. And now he just looks so tentative and everything's more of a, a hard decision for him.
1: Yeah, that's a, That's a, That's another good point. Fear. And I wonder if that is also him not trusting his knee. You know, I think when he got hurt, I think he said it was the first time he had ever really been injured in his life. So if you don't trust your knee anymore and your game is so built on being fast and quick, Look at what happened to Kemba, man. When Kemba wasn't able to trust his knee, it, it it's looked ugly at times. And if we can get Pritchard thinking like everybody else on the court and just thinking attack first, attack first, attack first, and being ready to shoot that ball with confidence, Peyton Pritchard could definitely help this team. It's just I don't know that he's going to get the minutes when Fournier comes back. If I had to bet on anybody losing their minutes, it's Pritchard when Fournier is back. Because I think Fournier can do a lot of what Pritchard does and he does it at 6-7 instead of
0: 6-2. Yeah, and this is the question, like what kind of brought me onto Pritchard? I know we'd said we might touch on him, but what brought me onto him was when you were talking about a second unit lineup and you went Marcus and Fournier, right? Whereas I would have gone Pritchard and Fournier. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to see where Greg's at with Pritchard. And I do think that Fournier is going to give you everything that you can get from Pritchard times 10. But yeah. I do think that there's a world where you'd have Pritchard playing like the point because Fournier is so good off-ball and yeah. that would allow Marcus Smart to play um, with that first unit a bit more. I mean, my, my ideal second unit, if it's a developmental thing, but you still want competitiveness, would be Pritchard, Fournier, Romeo, Jabari or Grant and then Thompson. And I think the defense there would be great. The offense there would be acceptable. You move Marcus Smart into that second unit, and it's absolutely it, It's a game changer. Obviously, Pritchard's development stalls for a year, for the, well, for the rest of this season. But that might be what he needs to kind of get out, get out of his own head, because it does feel like he's he's gone backwards in terms of processing the game, understanding when it's time to drive, when it's time to shoot, and sometimes it feels like he he feels. Like, I don't know, but it looks like he feels like he's in a shooting slump when he hasn't took a shot all game. So he's Mm. taken a heat check before he's even missed a shot. So the decision-making there definitely needs to be fixed a little bit. But that's probably the only negative I've took out of most of these games down the stretch. I think that at the minute the Celtics are on such a positive trend, um, everything's looking good, the defense, the offense, the continuity, the resilience, the camaraderie, everything just looks... It's all smelling rosy. And uh, I don't know, I think I said this on Celtics Talk Radio yesterday. Um, I'm very intrigued to see how this team survives a loss. I think that's going to be Mm. the next big telltale sign for this team is can you lose and then pull it back on the floor and be exactly the same team as what we've seen over the last six games after you take a punch in the mouth? And I think that's the last question that needs to be answered before we can all start to believe that Hey, this Celtics team were genuinely good. They just weren't healthy for all year and we rode them quite hard and we never really gave them a chance
1: to prove what they can be. Yeah, what do you think? Do we need to fire Brad? Do you think he has control over that locker room? Do you think he's lost the locker room, Adam? <laughs> I
0: think that it, um, it's been sunny here for five days and I'm not going to risk having rain tomorrow by making any ridiculous statements. Uh, so no, no, I do not. Um, But it look there was a time when it did when you could point the finger to Brad a little bit. The two big lineup was very questionable. Some of the rotations were questionable. But looking back now and like hindsight, you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back now, he was in a really tough spot, man. The roster was um wasn't balanced. It didn't have much flow to it. The the Mm -hmm. best players were always injured. They were banged up. They were just coming back to fitness. Nobody had really had enough season. I feel like every, I feel like the whole team caught a lot of heat that probably wasn't warranted. But in that moment when it was happening, it, everything felt reasonable. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, but I, I mean, we're about to go down a rabbit hole, so I don't know if we want to open up this can of worms. But I think that's more of um, a cultural, uh, a comment on our culture right now, and just like Twitter and how everybody overreacts to everything, and you have to have a take after every game. You know, we're not looking at it in sample sizes. We're looking at it in – well, we're not looking at it in um, actual sample sizes. We're looking at these, like, very small one game, you know, and everyone is just freaking out over the little things that happen. And if you look at it, you know, the Celtics have playing great ball for about four to five weeks now, and that's a significant portion of the season. And when they're healthy, they're one of the best teams in the league, man. They, they really are. And Brad is uh, – he's, he's got more tools to play with. I don't, I don't think we're ever going to see that lineup we saw at the end of the Lakers game again. <laughs> that was just brutal, man. That was brutal. But Brad, Brad's doing a good job. And, you, you know, you can, you can criticize Brad. I've been critical of Brad for sure for some of the choices that he's made. Um, but I think right now he understands who his best players are. And it seems like he's really, really grown on Grant recently And I'm excited to see that because, you know, we've we've talked about this before, but Grant starting to find his role on the team and become the guy that we saw in the playoffs last year. So I think that this nine man to 10 man rotation that we're going to end up with come playoff time once we're 100 percent healthy is really, really exciting. And I'm hoping that we get to this uh, Brooklyn game on Friday on an eight game win streak, man. It's very possible. I predicted it. I predicted it. We got to take care of business against the Bulls. And then we got the Phoenix Suns on Thursday and then it's the Brooklyn Nets.
0: Yeah, I really just want to get one win over the Nets by the end of the year, dude. Honestly. No, and it, it feels like um feels like this is the best time. They're they're kind of a bit, they're on shaky legs right now. Um, just to use a boxing analogy, they've been knocked down a few times, they're standing, but they're not really aware of what's going on. Uh, mm. I want to see a haymaker uh, the Suns as well are going to be a great test for this Boston team I agreed at Grant as their fan Grant and what I liked was the, the small game sample sizes I think the best way we can kind of like coin that is like micro dosing sports analysis like that's <laughs> because that, that's what happens right everybody's micro dosing on one or two game sample sizes and it's something that being from England in like where where the soccer world is like hey you've lost five games in a row the coach is fired hey you haven't played you haven't played one in three games you're not playing again for the rest of the year everything's Mm. micro dosed here in terms of soccer so it's nothing new to me when I'm watching like the basketball world kind of erupts like oh, my God, um, Kemba Walker went one for 30. Like I know it never – that's how it felt sometimes. But mm-hmm. it feels great right now. Uh, I'm very curious to see how they do against Phoenix. Um, I'm curious how they do against Chicago as well. Chicago play real good perimeter defense. I think they pressure the ball a lot on the perimeter. Um, Vuce is going to be a good test for whether Rob Williams is back or whether um, Tristan Thompson. So there's a lot of miniature battles we can watch there. I'm pretty much wrapped up, Greg. How are you feeling? Are you done? Is there anything we haven't hit
1: on? I mean, I feel pretty good, man. The only last comment I want to make is that the Celtics are giving me butterflies again. I'm starting to dream (laughs) on this team, man. I'm really starting to dream on this team. Jason Tatum, I'm like literally falling in love with his game all over again. And it's just so nice to to be positive, just to be positive. Because the micro dosing, it's been like very anxiety inducing. Yeah. and uh it, it's just not been fun honestly this season hasn't really been fun And the past two weeks have been fun to watch again and i think you know part of it is the the new style of offense that we're running you know passing the ball close to 300 times a game averaging over 20 assists a game and stuff like that all that's beautiful um but i'm starting to, to sense just like on weird celtics twitter there's more and more positive things being said and people are starting to get over i don't know if i've said this on the pod yet Adam, but I've, I've coined this as PTSD, post-teague stress disorder. People still have the PTSD. They have post-teague stress disorder, and they're still looking at this team as a team from early in the year, and they're not. Man, they're not the same team from early in the year when we had uh, teague on the roster. So I hope everyone is starting to, to come around to the idea that this six-game win streak is not a fluke. They've been playing better basketball for quite some time now, and I think they're becoming the team we hope they can be. The question is, as you said, can we get one over on Brooklyn? Because Brooklyn has our number. They've got more talent than we do, and they're scary as all hell. So if we can can show, if we can prove to ourselves that we can hang with Brooklyn this week, that's going to be really, really big come playoff time because they're the one team that I'm terrified of. I just don't think we can beat them talent-wise.
0: Hopefully we can beat them coaching-wise i think that's gonna be it's gonna to have to come down to see what scares me is if they didn't have mike d'antoni as an assistant i wouldn't be as scared because i'll be like brad can beat steve nash in a coaching battle hands down any day of the week brad can out steve nash can brad coach steve nash and d'antoni together I, I have some real questions about that that i just don't know you know we'd need a playoff series to get the answers to that question mm. um but i think so too i think we're. Things are starting to look up. There's a lot more positivity happening. Uh, What I will say is that this season has gave me a a newfound respect to fans of teams that are serial losing teams. Uh, The Kings, the the Pistons, any team that's just consistently bad. uh, My hat goes off to you guys, man, because we did it for about six months and it was a real tough slug. You guys have been doing it for about 14 years. So, um, you know, big up to all the fans of the losing teams because that stuff is not easy to do. Guys, you've been listening to the Celtics podcast. I'm joined by Mr. Greg Manikis Greg, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you?
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Mini Minnow. That is M-I-N-I-M-I-N-O-E. You're probably <laughs> going to spell it wrong. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do that again. But you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm also a rapper in a band called Black Sheep Optimist at Black Sheep Optimist, one word, Black Sheep Optimist, and my personal Instagram, at Manakis underscore music, M-A-N-E-I-K-I-S underscore music. And uh, yeah, man, that's all I got for you.
0: Yeah, everybody listening, I'll make sure that that's all hyperlinked in the description of this show. So if you do want to check out the the music, the Black Sheep Optimist, it'll be hyperlinked there. If you want to follow Greg, it'll all be in one nice tidy place for you. And obviously, I'll throw my stuff in there too. Because why wouldn't you want to follow me? Seriously, I want to know DM me why you wouldn't want to follow me. Um, As long as it's nice. With that being said, please leave that five star written review. Make sure that's nice too. If it's not, just please don't leave one. Uh, best thing you can do is tell your friends and family if you enjoy this show if they're Celtics fans put them on to us best advertisement is always word of mouth stay safe if you're listening on a Monday join me on the Locker Room app at 4pm for the live mailbag and then we'll catch you again on Wednesday when you can listen to the live mailbag have a good one guys and girls peace out